Hello, I'm Ryan Wynn, and this is How It's Reported, a podcast from the Emerald Podcast Network about how reporters do the work we do. And today I have... Alexis Jones. How are you doing? I'm doing great. I'm great. Glad to be here. How does it... This is your first cover story, yeah? This is my first ever cover story. It is so strange to walk by all the Emerald boxes and see my story front and center. So strange. Yay, there it is. Okay. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So... About this cover story, could you tell us a little bit more about it first for the listeners? Yes, for sure. So basically the cover story is looking at two different black professors here on the UO campus who are actively making a contribution to students of color and, and just the betterment of their experience on campus. And so there's that one aspect of it. And then also it kind of looks at how their global backgrounds affect the work that they do. Both of them are not from America. One is from Canada and one is from Trinidad and Tobago. And also within them being from different places, it's also kind of like one grew up being black in Canada with no black people and one grew up in Trinidad and Tobago with all black people and just kind of how that works. Yeah, so where did the idea for this story first come about, I guess? The idea for this story has morphed so much over the time um, from just it being a thought to paper. Um, It basically started out as I knew Black History Month was approaching and I wanted to contribute to that in a positive way and in an appropriate way, right? Something that's not going to be offensive, something that's going to show what the black professors on the UO campus are doing and how awesome it is. And so originally I had thought, okay, I just want to find some awesome black professors who are doing great work and talk to them about the work that they're doing and why they think it's important. And then when I actually reached out to these professors, I just found that they had so much more to say and there was so much more to their story than my idea. And so it really just kind of turned into me listening to what they had to say and connecting the dots as I wrote their stories. Yeah, so could you talk a little bit more about how you met these people in the first place? Like, just based on my experience in the UO, there aren't a whole lot of, like, not even just Black professors, just, like, POC professors. Right. It was a little bit of a challenge, actually, because, like you said, there aren't a lot of Black professors on campus. And so... Finding Dr. Deborah Thompson, who is one of the professors in the story, I had to research and research and just kind of Google things, look through different department staff and faculty, you know, photos and and all that kind of stuff. It was definitely one of those things where it wasn't right in front of me. I had to go look for it. And so that was cool. Just because (laughs) that was cool. Well, that was cool. I would say it was cool just because. It was like I found her and then when I I found her, it was amazing all the work and stuff that she had done in the political science department. And it was great. And I kind of got lost in looking at all her work and I had to refocus and be like, what am I here for? Wait, wait, wait. Why am I looking for her? Yeah, yeah. So that's how I found her. Uh, Dr. Troy Elias was a little bit easier because I had seen him around the J school and I knew who he was. I had him for 
uh, media professions last year. So, of course, it was a huge class. I never got to really interact with him, but I always saw how he carried himself and how great of a professor he was in that class. And I thought, you know what, there must be some sort of story here. Let's look into that. And so that's how that came about. Yeah. And just for you non-J major listeners, (laughs) media professions I think it's like J100, right? Right. It's one of the prerequisite courses for not only entrance into the journalism, journalism major, but Mm -hmm. into the journalism school in itself. Right. Exactly. So a lot of large classes and you can't miss them. They're huge. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. So let's dive into the actual copy of the story. Mm -hmm. Some readers may have noticed that we chose to capitalize black in the story. Did you want to talk a little bit more on that? Yeah, for sure. So it is Emerald style to capitalize the word black um, in stories. And that is basically just kind of to distinguish from when we are talking about the color black versus black people. And so when you capitalize that, it, it makes that distinction. And and I think also too, right, the word black referring to people has more significance than necessarily the black referring to a color and so i think it also kind of just gives a little bit more significance to when we are talking about black people as a whole and i really appreciate that the emerald does that yeah and we this isn't a new thing we've been doing this for a minute now and i'll link in the description below to an editor's note from like 2015 about why we do that But anyway, so going back to your process about this, this was your first cover story. Mm -hmm. How'd that feel? I remember talking with you like (laughs) during the process. It was a little, you know. Writing a cover story was super stressful. I'm not (laughs) going to even lie. Um, It feels great to have it in my hand now. But I think when I started at the Emerald, I was writing short pieces, you know, 500, 600 words. I was talking to one or two sources. It was very small and and condensed, and that's what I was used to. And so venturing out into a cover story, which mine was sitting at about 1,500, 1,600 words, um, I had about four or five sources in there. It was just a huge step for me because I I was taking so much more on my plate. And so it was just stressful trying to reach out to people, trying to, you know, manage, I think, everything. Not not so much sitting down and writing the story itself because I think I had awesome people to talk to. I had a great, you know, thought process. I had a great storyline. So none of that was more difficult than what I normally do. But I think just the logistics of talking to people, reaching out, um, that is a little bit more stressful. And also, too, the fact that it's like this is going to be on display for a week, people are going to be picking this up and they're going to be seeing your work and on a larger scale. And it's like, you just want people to appreciate your work and love your work because you know how much time you've put into it and knowing that people are going to read it and judge it on a larger scale is a little stressful. (laughs) A little Um, stressful. A little stressful. It's our job too, which is stressful. Stressful, right. But I think, once I saw everything and it was said and done and all the edits were made and it was set to go to print, then I was like, okay, all this stress is gone and I just am super excited. And I've been super excited since it's come out and I keep staring at it and 
it's just so cool to me that this is my work. And with the help of the Emerald team, we put it all together and it's in a print version now. Yeah. And just for reference, um, most cover stories range from like 1,500 words to like, I don't know, 2,000, I mm-hmm. guess. They have to be at least, I guess, well, maybe like a little less. Who knows? Yeah. Um, <laughs> and like you have like four or five sources. I think the longest cover story we've printed was like 3,000 something words. Oh, my goodness. That was Michael's mold, mold story about mold in East Campus housing. Great um, story. Great story. But anyway, could you tell us like how long it took you to do it just for like reference? Yeah. So this took me about two weeks in total. Um, and, and keep in mind, you know, I'm doing this and school and, and other activities, but it took about two weeks from having the idea to reaching out to professors to actually conducting interviews and then writing it. So the whole process took about two weeks and my philosophy behind it was just I wanted to take things slow and chip away at it when I could and I wanted to do it, you know, effectively and I didn't want to rush because I knew it was a big deal, right? Cover stories, really big deal. Yeah. And so... It's on the cover. Right. <laughs> right. Cover story. And so it took about two weeks. And I think that was great because I could take my time. And especially it being my first time, not knowing what to expect. You know, you're going to have bumps in the road. And I just wanted to take it slowly and do it correctly. Not only for myself and for the Emerald, but for the people that... I was writing for these professors who gave me their time and were willing to share their stories. It was important to me to slow down and really listen to what they were saying and and get it right. So about two weeks, um, which in our profession is not normally something you can do to take two weeks. But luckily, that's why we're in student media and we get to take our time and, and try and fail and have errors and things like that. So. Yeah, and you can read Alexis's story in the description below. But anyway, speaking of the kind of storylines that you wrote about, what were the most, like, what was the most difficult part of reporting the story? Like, it sounds like you coming into this, like, there's a lot of, like, things you kind of need to get used to. What was the most difficult part of, like, doing this story? I would say the most difficult part of doing this story was making sure that I got it right. And when I say I got it right, of course, you know, I had the quotes and things like that. And but it was more about making sure that I had the overall idea of what they were feeling and what they wanted to portray about how they grew up in their different places. I wanted to make sure that I wasn't missing anything and that their logic was being portrayed in the story correctly um, because these are such educated people and they have educated opinions and they're very very smart and so it sometimes it took me a second to have to stop and think about okay what exactly are they trying to say and how am I going to take what they have told me and share it with everybody else because you never want to, you know, get that call or have someone email you and be like, hey, I, I was misrepresented or, or this isn't what I meant. That's like my biggest fear. And so it was a challenge to sit down and really comprehend what they were saying and then taking that and putting it into my words for other people to read. Yeah. And like being misrepresented mm-hmm. is like already something that POC, especially the black community, has mm-hmm. to deal with. So I can imagine 
that pressure coupled with like it being Black History Month right. just kind of like compounded upon mm-hmm. you. Yeah. I think listening to these people's stories, it was very evident that they have been through a lot already. And I felt like if I was going to take their story and share it, I wanted to do it correctly. Just as you said, right? Like black people have been misrepresented for so long and I didn't want to add to that in any sort of way with any sort of mistake. And so it was important to me to get everything right, which is also why it probably took me two weeks because (laughs) I was going over every detail, every detail, making sure that I didn't miss a beat. Yeah, exactly. So going back to the sort of conversations and stories that you heard from these people, Mm -hmm. was there anything like surprising that happened or that you learned? I remember there was a little, I remember that there was a little bit in there about Professor Deborah Thompson. She acted on sesame street the canadian version that surprised me a lot because i've spoken to her before yeah that cracked me up and it was (laughs) it was so funny i love when i'm interviewing people whether it goes into the print or not asking them a favorite childhood memory i think that that's such such a a good question fun question to always ask people and so i had asked her hey like what's a fun childhood memory And she was like, hopefully you never find evidence of this. But (laughs) (laughs) when I was young, I acted on the Canadian version of Sesame Street. And it was actually so funny that I asked her that question because that led into, you know, how how did you get on the show? And and she goes, well, I was cute and I was black. And Canada wanted to keep up this facade of diversity when in reality in the 1980s in Canada, there was no diversity. And it was crazy to me that that one little question could go into something so much bigger. And that is actually the comment from her that started the conversation about talking about diversity in Canada and what that looked like or what that didn't look like for her. So it was it was funny the way that 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 worked out. So that kind of was something that made me laugh. And then I was able to go off of that and talk about something that was a lot more serious you know um so that definitely was funny um I think for when I was talking to Troy I think what surprised me most was just his positive attitude I think being black you know I'm black myself as well and I think just as a people as a community we sometimes can not have a positive attitude and of course it's easy to understand why you wouldn't have a positive attitude but him coming from Trinidad and Tobago and being around almost all black people and then coming here he didn't you know he didn't have anything poor to say he was very positive he was like you know what if there's not a community we create it and just talking to him it was inspiring and I loved his attitude and and I didn't go in expecting a certain thing but I know oftentimes how it can be and so it was awesome that he was like yeah no we're gonna create a small thriving black community here in Eugene you know if there's not one we're gonna make one if there is one we're gonna keep it going and I, I loved that I thought that was awesome yeah especially like in a state with a racist history mm-hmm. in a country with a racist history right in a school that's like 60 percent white mm-hmm. and i don't even know like 
what percentage black it can be. I imagine the transition like really, really tough. Mm-hmm. But that's a really nice outlook to like hear. Yeah, I thought it was great. It really, I think I interviewed him on like a Monday night and I was like, nah, it's, it's Monday. And then I went and I talked to him <laughs> and I was like, wow. You know, he just kind of, it was inspirational and it was nice to hear, you know, and I was glad to be able to take that and share it with other people and put it in the story. That's really nice to hear. Mm -hmm. So I was wondering, what would you say for like a listener who maybe hasn't read the story, but who should go into the description (laughs) and click on that story link? What would you say is the sort of core part of your story if you had to summarize it in a sentence, which is also, I guess, the point of like a nut graph? (laughs) Yeah. Um, In summary, I think I would say this. There is no single black storyline. There is no single black experience. Black people are not defined by their past. And there's a ton of black liberation happening all around, even in places where it might not seem like it. And when you pick up the story and you read about these awesome professors who come from different backgrounds and who are making a difference for people of color on campus, it's inspiring. And I think it shows that we are not defined by any sort of past. And there are a lot of people out there who are thriving. And so if you want to see two amazing examples of that, go ahead and pick up the story and read about what they're doing on campus. Especially, I think, students of color should read the story because what they're doing is directly impacting you on campus, whether you know it or not. So I was wondering, what what do you think you're going to do? next after this it feels oh like oh my goodness <laughs> I, yeah I imagine the workload just like shot up and then goes mm-hmm. down but I guess it's also midterms true you know it's it's, <laughs> <laughs> it's funny that you asked me that because I was totally thinking about that this morning I think for the last two weeks my mind has just been occupied by cover story cover story and now I'm kind of like well I go back to pitching regular stories on Friday and like what am I gonna do <laughs> So honestly, I don't have an answer for your question because I don't know. It feels strange like to put all your time and effort into this one thing for, you know, a decent amount of time. And then it's all said and done and you have to move on. Right. There's more stories to tell always. But I'm kind of like a little lost here, you know. So I don't know what I'm going to do next hopefully there are some events happening for black history month so i can kind of continue covering those for people just getting the word out and showing how as a campus we are celebrating the month but i don't know (laughs) to answer your question i don't know it feels it feels a little strange sometimes it's like that i guess yeah yeah so before we wrap things up here Mm -hmm. is there anything else that you wanted to drop upon our listeners like any I don't know any bits of knowledge um I guess they don't necessarily have to be journalistic though I guess they should (laughs) (laughs) um I would say that if you are a journalism major or if you are not a journalism major regardless of what you are doing in your life I would encourage you to get out and talk to people because you never know their stories and and what they have to say. And it can always teach you something and be so impactful. And I would also add that it's so important to get out 
and talk to people who aren't like you. Talk to people who have different experiences than you and also just try to put yourself in their shoes. I think covering the story has taught me that and has shown me the importance of it. And so that's something that I'm going to work on. And so I just encourage other people, whether you're in the J school and and this is what you're going to do for life or you just like to have conversations with people, there's always something that you can learn and there's always stories out there and someone's just waiting for you to listen. So if you get a chance, do that. And that's my bit of knowledge I'm dropping on people. (laughs) Insert dropping sound effect here. Okay, it was great hearing from you. And I think that's all for today. I'm Ryan Wynn. This has been How It's Reported. See you next week. Bye.